Good morning, Riverside. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I hope that you had the best Christmas. I hope it was full of so much fun, so much laughter. I hope that you and your family created some awesome memories uh, that for years to come, you'll be able to look back at and just enjoy and, and rejoice in. But spoiler alert this morning, spoiler alert this morning, we are gonna talk about Jesus. I'll let you know from the jump because better than anything that you could have unwrapped yesterday, better than anything you could have consumed is Jesus, uh, is the love of Jesus um, and his promises to us and his word for us. So we are going to dive into God's word this morning. And if you are lucky enough to be able to do life with somebody this morning, can you just reach out to them? Can you just touch them? I know around the holidays we have a lot of people in our homes that aren't normally in our homes. And so if you are blessed to have a guest in your home, can you just reach out to them and let them know, hey, you're not here by accident. God has a word for you this morning. Um, and if you're watching alone, go ahead and put it in the chat. Can you just say in the chat, God has a word this morning as we get ready to pray and enter into God's word. Let's pray together. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that allows us to interpret and receive your word and your promises to us. God, would you just speak to us through your word this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, if you frequent church often, you are probably very familiar with the Christmas story. Heck, even if you don't come to church often, I would imagine you might be really familiar with the Christmas story. But there are a couple things that I want to draw attention to this morning because it is such an exciting holiday, an exciting time for us um, who have put our love and our trust in Jesus Christ. We remember that Jesus, the Son of God, was sent from heaven to put on flesh so that uh, we could no longer uh, suffer the wrath of sin. Um, but we're going to take a look at the Christmas story this morning, and it is found in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start off at verse 30. Basically, uh, this virgin woman by the name of Mary is approached by an angel, and this is what the angel says to her in verse 30. Uh, Gabriel is his name. He says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will become pregnant, give birth to a son, and his name will be Jesus, and he will will be a great man. See, at this point, Gabriel is drawing attention to the humanity of Jesus. He's being born in the flesh. Um, and there is something about the idea of new life that is enough to just send people into a state of awe. I have the privilege of working alongside of two pregnant ladies in my office right now. Um, Sarah Lowe, who's our worship leader here at church, um, she's in the office often and she's expecting a child, as well as Jess Buse, who is hiding behind this camera right now. In fact, the camera is resting on her, uh, her, her belly. I'm just kidding, it's not. Um, <clears throat> but I have the privilege of working alongside them and I tell you, it's like clockwork. People keep coming in and, on our, in and out of our office, and I love it because every bit of information that Jess or Sarah shares about the baby, whether it be their gender, whether it be uh, what size fruit they're compared to uh, this week, it doesn't matter. Everybody's response is the exact same. You can just hear a chorus of, Pastor Dana being in the office is my favorite, who, who is grandma to Jess's baby. Her awe gets so high whenever she comes in the office and Jess is like showing her some sonogram pictures and Dana's just like, ah, ah. But I tell you, new life is enough to put you in a state of awe. There is something about the wonder of new awe. But can I remind you this morning 
um, that Jesus was not meant to stay in the manger. And even though it's wonderful um, to just be in awe of new life and new creation, there are two parts to awe. I just want to remind you this morning, there's two parts to awe. Um, uh, Awe is actually defined as um, having reverential respect or fear for as well as wonder. See, in verse 32, Gabriel went on to explain to Mary that your son will be called Son of the Most High. Um, He will be the Lord God, um, and the Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David. Your son will be king of Jacob's people forever, and his kingdom will never end. See, when people gathered at that nativity scene, the one that you have up on your fireplace right now, sitting in the mantle, when that scene happened, people didn't just come in awe of a baby, uh, of another child being, being born. What they were in awe of was also the divine authority bestowed upon the child that Mary was getting ready to, be, uh, to, to bear and to give birth to. So this morning, there are two parts of awe. Um, it's defined as the reverential respect or the fear of something as mixed with, as well as the wonder. So there's two parts. You have the fear and the wonder. The wonder of new life, uh, God becoming flesh, as well as the fear of the divine authority and the power given to him. That is what it means to be in awe. And I want to tell you this morning, in fact, this is the title of our message, since the beginning of mankind, uh, All humans have always found themselves navigating the tension of awe. That is the title of the message this morning. It is the tension of being in awe, the tension between the fear of the Lord as well as the wonder of the Lord. Um, I am the proud owner of a 2011 Volkswagen uh, Tiguan, all right? Uh, And that thing is nice. She's nice. She's a V4. Um, But recently, my timing belt slipped. And when I was talking to a mechanic, he was so kind to explain to me what a timing belt is. Basically, it's this belt that's located under your hood on the engine, on the engine, and uh, uh, it's connected to a bunch of, I believe the technical term is thingamabobs um, in the engine. It's connected to a bunch of those, and it has to maintain its, en- uh, its tension in order to keep the engine rotating and keep your car going and propelling and moving forward. If the timing belt loses its tension, then what happens is it slips and your engine no longer works, it fails and you are stuck. Uh, Can I tell you this morning that um, there are a lot of stuck Christians, a lot of people that are that I see that are stuck because some of us are either connected to, you know, like the fear of the Lord or we're either connected to the wonder and we have lost the connection between the two, all right? There's no tension, which means uh, you cannot propel and go forward and keep walking uh, full of faith and full of confidence in your relationship with the Lord, and you find yourself stuck. And so um, I just wanted to let you know that this morning that the wonder of knowing Jesus as our Savior was never meant to replace the reverence of him being Lord of our lives. Um, he is both our Lord and our Savior, uh, not our Lord or our Savior. We need to recognize him as both and maintain the tension. A couple weeks back, uh, Pastor Michael was so nice to share with us the vision of the church uh, for the next year. And one of the things that we're going to focus on as a body is 
going through the entire Bible. Um, we have a reading plan, and in fact, we will pin some links in the chat. If you have not yet participated and you want to join in, um, there's going to be some references in the chat that you can access and as well as if you want to purchase a Bible, I know they're available in the lobby. There's still some on sales. And we would love for you to join us together as we explore God's word and just dive deeper in our biblical literacy um, together as a body. But I want to tell you, I'll be honest, I know I'm Pastor Sam, but I've tried to read through the Bible at least like six times in my life, like straight through, just cover to cover. I didn't have a reading plan. And every time I tried, I didn't make it all the way through. I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't make it. And in fact, I'm embarrassed to say, I didn't even make it to the New Testament. I didn't even get that far. You know where I always got caught up at? Is the book of Leviticus. I would get in there and I'd be like, Lord, I have no idea what is going on, what is happening this morning, but I don't want you to get stuck at where I got stuck at, okay? So this morning, we are going to uh, explore the book of a little bit, Leviticus a little bit because it clearly illustrates this tension that I'm talking about, the tension of being in awe, the tension of the wonder and this childlike attraction to the Lord our God, as well as the fear and the reverence of him. See, the book of Leviticus, it clearly illustrates this tension that I'm referring to. The tension of being in awe, uh, which means both having fear and reverence for the Lord, as well as having the wonder, this childlike attraction to the Lord. Uh, the book of Leviticus illustrates it so beautifully, all right? So in the book of Leviticus, basically what is happening, what is going down is there's a whole lot of instruction, a whole bunch of instruction about how the people of Israel can atone for or make right the wrongs that they have done uh, toward the Lord, the ways that they have sinned against God. And so this morning we're going to explore them, but I just want to tell you uh, that the bigger the picture and the better your understanding of this stuff, the better your posture is because you will have an even deeper understanding of God's grace and his love for you, as well as a deeper understanding of his holiness and his sovereignty and how perfect he is. So in the book of Leviticus, um, it talks about the day called Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is uh, one day in the entire year, it's one day in the entire year that uh, the people of Israel were able to go um, into the presence of the Lord, which is located in tent, and they were able to make sacrifices. They had to bring in animal sacrifices to make right the sins of the children of Israel. It's Yom Kippur, okay? And so they would have an animal, all right? They would offset animal. Um, and then inside the tent, there was a couple of things. There was, there was the... Um, the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the presence of God resided, um, as well as they call it the mercy seat. So this is going to be my mercy seat. This is my animal sacrifice this morning. I know you are watching with children or something, and you probably don't want to see uh, anything too graphic. So thank you, Junie. Shout out to Junie for your teddy bear. I did not ask, but... Uh, <laughs> It'll come back, I promise. Um, so that's my animal sacrifice. We have the mercy seat there, um, as well as the Ark. Of, this would have been located on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of the Lord. So when they came in, they had to offset animal, and then they were told to sprinkle blood uh, throughout the tent. They had to sprinkle blood. So there you go. We sprinkle blood. There's a whole bunch of rules. This is the whole book of Leviticus. Um, as a bunch of rules and instruction about how to make right the sins of the people of Israel. 
Um, yeah, there were rules about uh, who can come in the tent. It was only an appointed high priest. Not everybody had access. There was rules about when they can come in the tent, which was once a year. There was rules about what they should bring, what was an appropriate sacrifice and what was not. There was rules about what they could wear while in the presence of the Lord. They were told to dress humbly. I'm sure they had a Packers jersey on or something. And they were also told what they should do while in the presence of the Lord. Because God was so holy, God said, I'm gonna give you rules um, as to how to come into my presence because if you do not follow the rules, um, what actually happened was if you broke any single one of them, you would drop dead because God was so holy and man was so sinful. And if you tried to behold his holiness um, without properly atoning for or, or your heart being in the right place, then you would drop dead. It was a scary thing. It was a real life thing. Um, and in fact, it is believed um, that the presence of God was, was so glorious um, that what the priests used to do, they would send a high priest into his presence and they would tie a rope around his ankle just in case said priest broke one of those rules, somebody couldn't just come in and go get him because they were not appointed to have access into the presence of God. So they tied a rope around his ankle just in case he entered the presence of the Lord and then he dropped dead. There was a way to retrieve his body. I know it sounds kind of morbid and this is the day after Christmas, but this is an illustration of how holy our God actually is. This is an illustration of how much he wanted to separate himself from sin. But as I mentioned before, it perfectly illustrates the tension. It perfectly illustrates the tension of, of, of having that childlike wonder and wanting to be in relationship with God. And it illustrates the tension of our sinfulness and having reverence of him. There are two sides to it. You have to have the wonder, but you also have to have the fear. See, this is a perfect picture of the tension that I keep talking about. See, the guy on the inside of the tent knew what it was um, to, to have the wonder, the wonder of the Lord, to want to be in his presence, to have this like childlike attraction, um, to pursue his presence and, and, and the promise of God and, and to be in good favor with the Lord. That's what they knew. And then on the outside of the tent, they, or the other end of the rope, they understood what it was to have a reverential fear of the Lord. They knew that because they were not appointed and they weren't given access, if they entered the tent, it would mean the loss of their life. See, what we have to understand as believers is that the presence of God's mercy, the mercy seat, the presence of God's mercy does not mean the absence of his holiness. And for hundreds of years, this is how God chose to interact with his people. Um, but ultimately, it didn't work. It's why the prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter one, verse 11. He says, the Lord asks, what do your many animal sacrifices mean to me? I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and enough fat from your fattened calves. And I'm not pleased with the blood of bulls, lambs, or male goats. See, the Lord used the prophet Isaiah to tell the people of Israel that this 
this ain't working out. This isn't a good deal that we have going. You guys clearly respect me enough to keep up with the animal sacrifices and keep up with this tradition, but you don't love me enough to devote yourselves to holiness. That chapter goes on to say in verse 16, it says, wash yourselves, become clean, get your evil deeds out of my sight, stop doing evil, learn to do good, seek justice, arrest oppressors, defend orphans, plead the case of widows. God is basically saying to Israel, how do you think I can be pleased with these animals? sacrifices um, while all of you are, are witnessing these evil things taking place around you. So God basically decided, I have to make another way. God said, I'll make a new covenant because mankind was way too sinful. So God said, I'm going to make a new promise. I'm going to keep my end of the bargain. Even though you did not fulfill yours, I'm going to fulfill mine through, your, through my son, Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, it says, for since the law has but a shadow, the law, which is the Old Testament tradition, has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. And Jesus, this little baby in the petting zoo, uh, will become the final fulfillment of this Old Testament covenant. Jesus replaced every part of this process. He literally once and for all uh, would become the bridge um, that would connect a fallen world to God's presence, to God's holy presence. And scripture says that none can come, have access to God the Father, except through the son Jesus that was born in a manger. Um, Hebrews 4, 14 says, therefore, since we have a great high priest, Jesus would become the high priest. Uh, we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. He would become the tent. He would become that as well. Um, and when his flesh was ripped open while he suffered um, and, and right before he went on the cross, uh, before his side was pierced, while his flesh was whipped open, um, those who were previously not given access could now behold the wrath of God poured out onto his son. And I know it's the day after Christmas and we don't like hearing about this, but if you don't understand his wrath, there's no way that you can understand the full measure of his grace and his mercy. So the more reverence I have for God's power and his holiness, the more true and the more wonder I have for how his mercy tastes and how good it is. See, Jesus would ultimately become the atoning sacrifice. There was no longer a need for this. It would become Jesus. And once and for all, he would do away with the sins of the world through his shed blood. There's no longer a need for this because Jesus would deal with that as well. And anyone who is humble enough uh, to, to renounce their own sin and acknowledge and confess that Jesus is holy, holy, excuse me, they would be given access. And it is such an awesome thing. It is so awesome that we have access to a holy, most high God. But so many of us want to go back to the Old Testament way of doing things. Like in the book of Leviticus, so many of us want to forfeit our access and we keep ourselves out of the presence of the Lord um, because we believe that we have to get our stuff together first. We discredit ourselves when the Holy Spirit convicts us and maybe tries to let us know, hey, I, I want you to step into something new. We say, no, I, I'm not ready. I, I'm not good enough. Um, I have too much 
sin going on in my life and we forget the work that Jesus was sent to do on our behalf. This is the picture that the Lord gave me. I am a proud Costco membership owner. Um, I, got the, I keep the card in my wallet. I stay ready because you never know when the wife is going to send me to go get a box of diapers or a bunch of wives. I, I stay ready. I pay an annual fee for the Costco membership so that I can have access to all the benefits of Costco members, which this last month was new tires. Shout out Costco. Uh, how dumb and how foolish would it be if I paid for said membership, but instead I just showed up to Costco, I rolled up to Costco and I sat outside of Costco and I just said to everyone that went in and out of Costco, even though I have my own membership, I just said to them, hey, what's going on in, what's going on in Costco? How foolish would it be if I stood in this Costco parking lot and as everyone came out, I'm asking for their samples. Like, what samples is going on in Costco today? We got anything good? I've already been given access. See, this is an illustration or this is an image of some believers. Um, we have forfeited the access that has been freely given to us. Okay. Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 22 says, Therefore, brothers... I love this verse. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. But the tension the tension is important. And if you're listening today and you only see Jesus as a savior, you've only experienced the wonder of Jesus as a savior and you've lost sight of him as Lord of your life, can I caution you this morning? Um, this only leads to us creating a Jesus that is made in our image instead of allowing ourselves to be transformed into his. And if you're listening today, and you have grasped the concept of Jesus being Lord of your life, you have reverence, you have fear of the Lord, and you don't see him as a savior that came and once and for all atoned for the sin that you would experience both all past, present, and future sin, this will lead to you trying to save yourself and striving to earn something that has already been freely given to you. God doesn't want your empty sacrifices. God doesn't need your works. He wants you to know the depths of his grace, the depths of the love that he lavished on you, not so that you could live for yourself, but so that we could live for him, that we might live our lives completely in awe of the wonder of Jesus um, and revere um, his power and authority as well. So that same baby that is sitting on your mantle in the nativity scene, he wasn't meant to be left in a manger. The same baby that was sent there was sent to sit on the throne. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you for your holiness. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit now, even where we're at, to speak to us, to convict us. Lord, help us um, live lives that reflect just the awe that we have behold in your son, Jesus. Lord, I ask um, that you would just bring your peace 
in every single person's home today. Um, I pray for any guests that are still around, Lord. I just pray uh, continued good memories. I pray for good times. And Lord, I am excited. And we look forward to the work that you're going to continue do, to do through this body. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, Riverside. Have a blessed day.